0: He's spent over 40 years in and around the restaurant industry. He's been an owner and an operator. He's a member of the Colorado Restaurant Hall of Fame. For over 30 years, his radio shows have been keeping you updated on the ever changing Colorado restaurant scene, where he invites you to join him, both on the air and for meals at area restaurants. He's Mike Boyle, and this is The Restaurant Show.
1: You a nice zucchini, but a cheese, All right, let's get it on. It's 406 on Mike Boyle, and we are back for the second hour of the restaurant show. Every Saturday, 3 to 5, every Sunday, 10 o'clock until noon. I'll be back tomorrow taking your calls. 303-696-1971. 303-696-1971. Um... Oklahoma got beat by the University of Kansas. Those are words you don't hear very often. First time in, I think it said, 18 years. So I was just thinking, maybe our CU Buffs have a shot against number 23 UCLA today. They're 4-3. and three. That would be the Buffs. They're 4-3. and three. The next five games... Four of them are against ranked teams. So uh, hopefully out there in that nice, warm Pasadena, Rose Bowl, California sun, the CU Buffs will be able to beat UCLA. Up in Fort Collins, the Rams are taking on the number 18th ranked and undefeated Air Force Academy Fighting Falcons. World Series is going on. Texas is up one game to none. Nuggets started their season by beating the Los Angeles Lakers earlier this week. Um, wouldn't that be nice? How about a repeat? How about uh, how about another NBA championship last year, first one in 47 years? How about getting two in two years? Uh, and of course, tomorrow the Broncos take on the Kansas City Chiefs at Mile High Stadium or whatever we're calling that place now. Uh, I saw an article. Where Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey should eat and drink while in Denver for the Chiefs game. Well, uh, they got in earlier today, and my guess is that the Chiefs probably have some meetings. Taylor Swift has announced that she will not be in town for the game. But uh, I think what I might do a little bit later is go over some of these restaurants just to maybe give you a few places that uh, you might enjoy. But later in this hour, we're going to speak with a guy named Jim Shockey. He has a book out called Call Me Hunter. Um, interesting book. Uh, one of the things, that I'll actually, actually ask him about it, Is he said that when he writes a book, he wants you just like I was talking about last hour, going to Husky Burger in Florence because of um, it appeared in a book that I read, Only the Dead by Jack Carr. So, but it just made it was very interesting. I looked up a lot of the stuff that he talks about in this book. Looked up some statistics, got some of that. It, It was it was. It was very, very interesting. So we're going to talk with him and review his book, Call Me Hunter, because we talk about restaurants, travel, movies, book, sports, or whatever we feel like talking about. want to remind you on my website, mikeboyle.com, there is a new blog about packing for travel. And you will see on the homepage a link that you will be able to click on That will get you to the podcast for the show, the show that we are doing right now. Further, I'll be coming out in about a week, 10 days, maybe two weeks, with a separate blog. We're going the blog route, so we'll have the shows in Colorado Springs, the shows in Denver, and a blog, and we'll make sure that you know how to get a hold of that. When we come back, I had to return a book this week to Amazon. And I'm going to tell you about the experience when we come back on the restaurant show. The more I drink,
0: the more-
1: It's after 4 o'clock here on The Restaurant Show. Happy to have you aboard. All right. I have. Ge- you know what? It takes a lot to make Mike Boyle speechless. Okay? <laughs> so, I had lunch with Justin Adrian. Justin Adrian is the guy that runs Vibe Concepts for the Ship Brothers. The Ships started Spankies in 1994 on Evan's just a little bit west of University, right there in the DU district. They have grown to 11 restaurants. They've got a restaurant in Boulder, another in Beaver Creek, Keystone, most in the Denver metro area. But they opened one in Castle Rock called the Great Divide Brewing Company. They partnered with Brian Dunn from the Great Divide. and. Uh, With a very clear understanding, Brian, we do restaurants. We'd love to serve your beer. We'd love to capitalize on the name. So they put it together. I had lunch with Justin last week, and uh, I actually told you about it a little bit last weekend. And anyway, we got talking about books. He told me that he is more of an audio book guy. Um, And I think we know that they have become very, very popular. People can listen to them while they're jogging, riding their bike, sitting waiting for a bus or whatever. He told me that he is listening to Green Lights, like a green light, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, the actor. And he said it's kind of a self-help book. I don't do self-help books for the simple reason that With me, what you see is what you get. But he made it sound so interesting that I thought, I'm going to go to Amazon and I'm going to get the book. So I did. And when it came the next day, I opened it up, and it wasn't like a book. You know a book is what? Six, seven inches tall, four, five inches wide. You open it and you turn the page and you read it, right? Right. This was more of about four inches tall, three and a half, four inches tall, and about six inches wide. It's the type of book that when you open, you put your name in it at the funeral or at the wedding, the guest book, that type of thing. And on every every page was just about blank, except for one little hint to help you enjoy life. And I thought, what the heck? This can't be right. So I was telling a listener, and he said, well, you didn't get the book. And I said, I went online. I said, you go, and I went online again. I looked, and it's the book. I said, I know what a frickin' book looks like, but this ain't a book book. And after nosing around, I find out that I've got this 128-page journal well, I don't keep a journal. And the book is a 320-page reading book. I see that it's four hours of audio book, so I know that it's got to be about 300 pages or so. So I say, well, I don't want it. Return it to Amazon. I don't know how. Well, you go on. You find out that all you have to do is take an Amazon return. I'll bet you I'm talking to people. Probably more people I'm talking to have returned something something to Amazon than not. So you just take it to Kohl's, you take it to UPS. um, I don't know about FedEx, but at any rate, and you don't even, I said, well, I don't even have the wrapping anymore. I tore the box up because I'm kind of anal about that stuff. Doesn't matter. So I take it down to UPS and I've got the barcode because I've clicked on Amazon that I want to return it. They give you a little barcode. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't know if they'll know how to do this. I go down to the UPS store, and Casey and Gene, the guys down there, the great guys, I said, I want to return this. Uh, what do I do? They say, well, just hand it to me. So I give it to them. Do you have the barcode? to show it to them. They zap it. And they say, okay, Thanks. I said, well, don't I need to buy a box or don't I need... No, 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 Mike, we'll take care of it. They actually have this kiosk in the UPS store. And we're not talking about a big UPS store, maybe 1,500, 2,000 square feet. He said, we do this all the time. I said, do a lot of people return stuff to Amazon? They looked at me like I was an alien. They said, Mike, we just did our... Reconciliation with Amazon for the month of September. How many returns do you think that we had? Well, I don't know. And the way you're with your tone, I really don't know. Almost 5,000 returns at this Castle Rock store. 5,000. One lady bought 36 hats. Now, I don't know if she needs 36 hats. I don't know if she sells them on eBay. It doesn't matter. But at any rate, I said, yeah, but you put them in a box, and that's one return, right? Nope. You have to do 36 individual packages. I said, "Uh, 5,000? So obviously they knew how to do it, but I'm telling you what, I was absolutely stunned, and I just thought... I had, pardon me, to share that number with you. But it was easy and they took it. They they said you'll be getting an email probably within 24 hours telling you about and they gave me a receipt. They told me within 24 hours I would be getting an acknowledgement of my money back and I got the email. Now I haven't bothered to take a look at my credit card to see if it's if I got the credit, but I I just thought, my God, 5,000. How many UPS stores are there in the country? How many Kohl's clothing stores are there in the country taking these returns? And then I got talking to one of the neighborhood ladies And she said, oh yeah, I've made a number of purchases That I thought, and when it got here It wasn't exactly what I wanted And I just returned it right, let's talk about a book Restaurants, travel, movies, books, sports Whatever we feel like talking about We're going to talk with Jim Shockey about his book Call Me Hunter And the underworld of art theft On the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show All right, welcome back to the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show, where we talk about restaurants, travel, movies, books, sports, whatever we feel like talking about. You know what? We're going to talk with a guy named Jim Shockey. Jim Shockey has a novel out called Call Me Hunter. It's his debut novel. He started writing it in 1997 at the age of 40. So he is now 66 years old. I figure we better get him on. We better do a good job with this interview, because if it's going to take him a quarter of a century to knock out books, I'm not sure he's got another one in him. Let's get him on the air, Jim. Welcome to the show. Hey,
2: thanks. and I'm 65, I don't need the extra year added on. Well, that still, if it takes
1: you 25 years, you'll be 90 before the next one uh, comes
2: out. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate I appreciate that.
1: You are a lesson in tenacity. Um, one of the things that really got me about your book, Call Me Hunter, is you said you wanted to write a book that inspired people to stop and think, to maybe do a little research, to maybe look around, to maybe hit Google, whether it was about the subject, a place, and your book inspired me to do that. Do I recall reading that as being part of your inspiration?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure it is. I mean, I flip stereotypes around, and, and there's... There's all kinds of metaphors for what's going out on in the real world right now, and and so I, I absolutely wanted people to to think. I mean, you, you know, they can read it at, at whatever depth they want. If they want a beach read, you know, it flows like a like a thriller. But if they want to dig a little deeper and get into the. You know, layer after layer after layer. Um, they'll find that this novel, they'll get trapped, like I say in the preface. It's like quicksand if they uh, the more did. time and effort.
1: Well, it did. Uh, it had me constantly putting the book down and looking, so, uh, looking up something. Jim Shockey is considered one of the world's foremost experts on the. Ethnocentric Folk Art Forms of Western Canada. I didn't even know what ethno, uh, ethnocentric folk art was. But let's get into a little bit bigger picture. You know, I really, I think the stories of the Nazis looting art are well documented. They're legendary. Art is still being recovered. We've heard reports that Russians are doing that presently in Ukraine. I've had Steve Barry on, talking about the... Uh, Ghent Masterpiece in Belgium, and how one piece has never been found. Many people have seen the Monument Men with George Clooney, the movie about recovering many pieces of art, and the Ghent masterpiece was focused uh, was part of the focus of that and and i've read Jim that art theft worldwide behind Drug trafficking and human trafficking is the third largest criminal enterprise in the world. Somewhere around six, seven, eight billion dollars of art is stolen a year. And I've also read that somewhere like 25, 30, 50, even maybe as high as 75% of the art in museums has uh, worldwide is not the originals but recreations.
2: Yeah, that's uh, hence, hence our world the organization in uh, my novel. Well, you know, the forgery the forgeries uh, you know no one wants it it's like the elephant in the room and I'm sure this novel will will start turning heads where people will look at these museums and say what you know, what's real in here and what's what's not the
1: greatest piece of the greatest work of art in the world is not in the louvre or the met or in any private collection it's in fact, its whereabouts are unknown. Talk a, talk a little bit about your book, but talk a little bit about—I I think that that's absolutely fascinating. I have an article in front of me that, that I perked up when I had read your book. Egan Shell. Schnell, am I pronouncing that right? Art seized in u s over holocaust claim u s authorities have seized artworks by the Russian uh, I beg your pardon by the Austrian artist Egan Schell from American museums all across the country, following a claim that they were looted during the Holocaust. Investigators in New York have seized three pieces from galleries in Chicago, Pittsburgh. And Ohio, talk just talk a little bit about your book and where you found an interest in this and the prevalence of art theft in this country and the world.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been. How's that fascinated. for a broad topic? That ought to that ought to keep <laughs> us going for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's not that's not too specific at all. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean the the short answer. I, I've been interested in art, and if. When you read the novel, the, the young child is an idiot savant, in, in a sense, a, a genetic mutation with the ability to recognize great art. He sees the world in brown and brown sepia tones until something of, of great artistic merit appears in front of him. He sees it anywhere. It doesn't matter where it can be, a gallery, wherever. And he recognizes it for what it is. And,
1: and these people actually it. exist. You didn't create
2: this. I, I don't think there's any question, uh, and uh, you know that there's people that have talent that we don't understand. I mean, eight billion of us in this world, there's got to be eight of them out there that um, that sense beauty, sense, feel it, uh, smell it. You're just not the same way we do. Maybe it's the spirituality of the inherent in the piece if it was created by. You know, and I say by the hand of God, through the hand of man, or humans. Yeah. How about you know, Ray die. Charles?
1: You know, let's there you, say, go. Yeah. you know, so anyway, talk, talk, sorry, Jim. Listen, David Brown is a great publicist and he does a great job. And every publicist will send out to radio stations all across the country a book review and there'll be 10 questions. And so if you do. 100 interviews, Jim Shockey, about your book, Call Me Hunter, you're going to get 99 of the same questions on The Morning Show. And that's why I read the book, and that's why authors generally, you may be the exception, generally... Enjoy being on the show because I've read it and it leads me into something else. And I'm going to ask you stuff that maybe you're not going to get asked on other interviews. So
2: Uh, uh, I love it. That's perfect.
1: I love it. So tell the listeners about this child with the rarest of gifts, an innate ability to feel impossible beauty, to recognize uh, priceless works of art. Talk a little bit about where the idea come from. Do you know somebody like this? <laughs>
2: you know, you know what I say about this. It's novel? not you, is it? <laughs> I, I'm not. You know what? I, I'm uh, I'm not going to answer that one. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will tell you that as a child, I could not read, and uh, my grade three teacher, Mrs. Miller, told my parents to take me into a psychiatrist to figure out what was wrong with me, why I couldn't, why I couldn't read, and uh, you know, the psychiatrist tested me. And, you know, nowadays, it would probably be on the autistic spectrum somewhere. But uh, what he discovered, like many people that struggle in school, it's not because they're unintelligent. Uh, you know, they can be dyslexic. They can, be, they can have any number of other learning disabilities, but it doesn't mean that they're unintelligent. And when he tested me, he found out that uh, that, that certainly was not my issue. The issue was I didn't want to read books you know, about Dick and Jane and spot running up down hills you know i want i wanted i wanted to go to the library i didn't even know what a library was at that point but uh, that's what the psychiatrist told my parents <laughs> Take to a library uh-huh. and, and and i think many people listening right now went through this in school they they it wasn't recognized you know the bell curve doesn't recognize the people out on the edges mm-hmm. and and so you know it, without a doubt as i say there's there's people that have abilities that are that are beyond the ken of, of uh, you know that bell curve. They're out on the outer edges. Uh, there's just too many of us for, for it not to be a reality. And sensing art, the beauty of art, the spirituality inside each piece. Uh, I think you know the hand of God working in these pieces, like the greatest work of art, the the soul catcher mm-hmm. in this uh, in my novel. Call me Hunter. That's that's been something that our world the organization, which is a loose, you know metaphor for what's going on out in the world. I mean, think about the the deadly sins, greed, envy, lust, wrath, pride. You know, we, we can leave gluttony out and, and uh, you know, that's probably just good marketing for by the fast food companies, but but uh you know, when when you look at those, think of any big organizations that are meddling in our lives nowadays that mm-hmm. that have that are, basically that's their tenants. That's what they're motivated by. And, and so our world is—that is, is our world. That's why the organization is called Our World. Right? There's there's many many depths to this novel beyond the story.
1: Well, I, I, a lot I, of
2: it is basic truth.
1: I love the art references. You know, here I, I got to tell you something. As a young uh, as a young lad, I don't mind saying this. I haven't said it. I I don't recall saying it recently. But I test it out as genius level. But when it comes to art. You don't want me to paint your house. I mean, I, I don't have any artistic ability. If you have trouble, Jim Shockey, with your computer or your cell phone, who do you call? Your 12-year-old. Yes. And, yeah, and, exactly. and, and so, yeah, I, I think that, that it's fascinating. We're talking with Jim Shockey. He's got a book out called Call Me Hunter. And we've got to take a break. But when we come back, Jim, I'd like you to take people through the book. And I want to know, is there an organization that you've created in this book? Does it truly exist? We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the restaurant show. We're doing a book review it's with like Jim Shockey. Jim Shockey is a Canadian writer, worldwide adventure, wilderness outfitter, television producer, and host. Got him on the line. We're talking about his book, Call Me Hunter. Uh, it just recently came out. And, uh, let's do this. Let's find out from Jim. We've got, we've nibbled around the edges, but in the book, Jim, you have an organization called our world. And it trains these savants, these art savants, to acquire the greatest works of art through theft, bribery, forgery, even murder. Is there such an organization, uh, or is that bringing a bunch of fragmented art thieves around the world together in an organization? Go ahead and touch on that.
2: Yes, I mean, well, I mean, the, the short answer is this: this book is based on, on fact you know and i what i you know tongue in cheek i'll tell people it's 80 percent truth and the 20 percent that would put anybody in jail that's the fiction part mm-hmm. you know nudge nudge wink wink yeah but you know and i suppose you know i'm not, not going to answer the question directly because i believe well let's if something untowards happens to me then uh then it will really make it a mystery. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I don't. I don't think there's any question that organizations like this exist. And, and like I said earlier, just look at the seven deadly sins, and are you can we can all look around us and and name organizations that are motivated by those. You know those those vices. And, and I I strongly believe hundred uh, percent that that's that's going on. You said it earlier. Up to seventy five percent of the art and. In or in institutions are are fake. The academics are judging them, but academics aren't necessarily qualified. There, you know, there's been several movies recently that have uh, that have talked about that. And I'm not I'm not disparaging academics because obviously they're a vital part of the process. But if there was an organization like this, and when you look at the number of these, the forgeries, the amount of money that's involved, you know, I mean, whenever you have that kind of money, you're going to have Criminals taking advantage of it. And uh, so, you know, I won't answer it directly, but I, I will tell you that it's uh, this novel is based largely in
1: truth, in fact. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Daniel Silva. I don't know if you've read Daniel Silva. Um, he has a character, uh, Gabriel Alon. Gabriel Alan was with the Mossad, uh, charged with Gola in Operation Wrath of God, with avenging the murder of the Israeli Olympians in Munich in 1972. Sure. He. Yeah. Has progressed to the point where he leads Mossad, retires from Mossad, but he is an art restorer. Are you familiar with the books? Are you familiar with the character? Yeah, yes, I am. And yeah. and he is a guy that is brought in to restore the original works of art. I mean, if Michelangelo's going to paint something, it's probably got a little bit of wear and tear on it right now. So he will be brought in to restore. But there's so many cases where he will be brought in to restore what is reputed to be, reported to be an original and say this is a fake. And it's amazing he just has this innate ability— and there are people that can do that, and and you you've created one in your book. Call me Hunter.
2: Yeah, several uh, that that have the ability to recognize that and to varying degrees. And I mean, if you look at savants, I mean, Google it. These people, it's incredible. Some some have the ability thrust upon them, get hit by lightning, and suddenly they can play Beethoven, and they've never used a piano in their life. Uh, people that can read. You know, hundred thousand words a minute. I mean, it's an hour—ridiculous. I mean, you know, these people do exist, and and there's no question that there's people that that have that innate ability to recognize when something is real or not real. You know, that it is quality or not quality. That's—I uh, mean, let's face it. That's what art is. We just listen to people yeah. that tell us that's great.
1: Well, we and, well, well, and we've all been to a flea market or an art gallery where there was a price tag on something, and the artist said, I want X number of dollars for it. Let's put a number. I want $1,000 for it. And you say, well... I don't want to insult you, but I'll give you $500. I think it would look nice in my house. And the artist can say, I need the money, I'll take it. Or the artist can say, well, it's worth $1,000. Well, not to me. What's the old saying? You can have the best product in the world, but if you can't sell it, you've still got it. So the value is placed by the market. There was a theft in Boston in one thousand nine hundred and ninety the art that was stolen was reported to be worth five hundred million dollars now that 's a number that 's completely that 's incomprehensible to me and, and, and for for art and yet there 's people out there that will pay it so talk about how this young man who saw everything in brown 's all of a sudden, is recruited by an organization without you know we don't want to we don't, we don't want to tell them we don't want to tell them who done it, but but it, it, draw the listeners in with the plot if you would please.
2: Yes, it, it, there's an organization that and it, it's <laughs> in the novel is is uh, founded by the original Sotheby, uh, which you know he sold he sold books is what they originally started back in the 1700s. To Louis the Fifteenth, I believe, mm. and but there was a second wing of the of of that that enterprise that was a little more nefarious, where they were looking for these great pieces of art, gathering them together, then having an auction with the wealthiest people in the world, the the, the true obsessed collectors that also have the money to buy those pieces. So they never got out into the public. This wasn't a public auction. This is only invited guests called The Gathering, and this organization has been around for two, 300 years now, and they need to have these savants, these children that have this ability. Now, they recognize them as children, but they don't start working for our world until they're old enough to actually go it on their own, but they're, they're carefully molded, and, and their lives are directed, even though they don't realize it parents don't realize it and depends where they are and you know, behind the iron curtain in the day they would just take these children and that was the end of that goodbye you, you cry cry and and they're are ours mm-hmm. and they then train them in in this world of art to, to not they already have the ability to recognize but now how to how to how to and how to acquire how to it? Together, yeah. Yeah. How to acquire it and not necessarily in in legal methods, obviously, because, and and without letting anybody know, because if it's that great a work of art, and suddenly everybody knows about it, the price goes up, just like your treasure you found in the uh, in the antique store. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a thousand dollars, but uh, you know, buy it for five hundred, but it's actually worth five thousand dollars. And it, this is what they do: is they they use these. Almost like uh, cormorants you know that they send with a ring around their neck to dive down into the into the water and, and they bring the fish back but they can't swallow the fish. Well that's what these these children are are slowly manipulated to enter into the our world fold as operatives uh, and that's, that's what Hunter, the young boy that starts the novel that's his, um, he's, he's an operative with our world. And once they're operatives, they also get their code name which is was Icarus. Mm-hmm. And and so what you what you do is you follow this young lad through his life, but he's and this is this is where it gets complicated on the on the writing side. It's there's second person perspectives all through Call Me Hunter and third person. But second person is Icarus Hunter and the you know he's also Man of Sores, he's telling a young lady, Nyala who's the protagonist, her story. So, this is how it all begins is Nyala finds a manuscript in her mailbox, and she's a young journalist in uh, North Carolina, and, and starts to follow, read this manuscript, and realize it's a, it's about her. It's somebody telling her her story. Now, she doesn't know her past. She was found on a police station, you know, in the front front steps with with a handwritten note and all wrapped in mountain goat wool. So so, you know, this she has no idea who her antecedents were. And this this manuscript that shows up leads her to the discovery of who she is. And the whole theme to it is the search for the soul catcher, which is the greatest single work of art. And this is our world's greatest desire in, in hundreds of years of its existence, is to find that one great work of art. And um, that's what uh, people will, will find as they read, read through the novel is, is the soul catcher.
1: And what, uh, what any person will do, or many people would do, to acquire it. His name is Jim Shockey. The book is called Call Me Hunter. I'll tell you this, folks, it's thought-provoking, and there were plenty of times in the book where I would read two, three, four pages. I was maybe a little tired, dozed off, picked it up the next day and said, whoop, I may have to go back a couple pages just to get myself caught up on it. But you know what? We go to museums, we look at art, and we think that we are looking at art that has been acquired, according to the Carnegie Museum, in an ethical, legal and professional requirements and norms, but a lot of cases that is not the case. So, hey, Jim, thanks an awful lot for joining us, and uh, and um, I appreciate uh, congratulations on after 25 years getting the book published, and hopefully it will do well. Hopefully we can help push it a little bit for you. It comes out with Simon and & Schuster, and uh, folks... I think that, like he said, his when we started the interview, his goal was to make you stop and think and maybe reflect. And I think that the book certainly accomplishes that. Jim, thanks an awful lot. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I enjoyed having you.
2: Yeah, it was wonderful, but as you said, thought provoking. I appreciate it.
1: All right, Jim Shockey, call me Hunter Simon and Schuster. It's out now. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. We're going to go ahead and take a break on the Mike Boyle Restaurant Travel Movies Books Sports whatever we feel like talking about show. A cradle by Harry Chapin. I'm Mike Boyle. This is the restaurant show. I understand that Susie in Littleton has a nice art story. Susie, welcome to the show.
3: Hi there, Mike. Yes, I do have a story that ties in with this. So, my son went to college at Mary Washington um, University in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So, I went, drove, flew out there to see him and we went to the white house and we went for the white house in those days you could actually get we got in line and before i knew it you know we were inside the white house
2: so we were um, in. going on the white house
3: tour yeah it was unbelievable how you could do that back then yep well we're in the the white house House tour go. go ahead okay so we're in the white house tour and there was a painting there that was, they said, was saved by Dolly Madison in the, you know, in 1812 war, you know. And so um, right after that, we went that same day, we went to the Smithsonian. And my son knew the difference between the Smithsonian, so it must have been the one with the art, you know. And so we're in the Smithsonian, and we see the exact same painting at the Smithsonian, and the White House said they have the original, and the Smithsonian said they have the original, <laughs> That's, that theirs was original. So my so my son, and, who was very sharp, he's the one who noticed it. So we went and reported it um, to somebody. You know, there was like an information desk or something at the Smithsonian, and we reported what had happened. And I actually still have a letter to this day from the Smithsonian saying that they – out that they have the original that original painting.
1: Interesting. So both the White well,
3: House and the Smithsonian were saying they had the painting. I can't even remember what the painting looked like. You know, I don't. I can't remember if it was a portrait or what that painting was. But I'm sure if I refer back to that letter, you know, it says it in the letter.
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting because there is so much, and apparently people that are. Uh, art knowledgeable and in the interview I referenced Daniel Silva and um, Gabriel Alon in the books he's an art restorer but apparently the counterfeit art business is so incredibly lucrative that museums all over the world buy these pieces, display them as the original and hope that Susie and her son don't walk into that museum having seen the same piece of art across town an hour before, but it's really fascinating about, uh, if you look into the art world, the amount of pilfered art, and so much of it is so expensive and so rare that there's really no market for it. But people that have a tremendous amount of money will do anything to acquire this art. And then maybe they can display it in their house, but they certainly can't let people know it because so much of it's pilfered, so much of it's counterfeit. I I just found it very interesting. The book, since he's gone, I will say this. The book was a difficult read. It, it, It was kind of a tough read. But it was very interesting about um, about this organization, and it's supposedly the most expensive, the most valued piece of art in the world, the soul catcher, nobody even knows where it is so um, wow. that's a great that's a great story, Susie, thanks for sharing it and yeah. yes. Uh, I remember back when I was a little guy, you didn't even have to sign up for tours of the White House, really. I remember going with my dad. And uh, yeah, he knew a couple people and we just walked right into the White House and got wandered around and got to see it. And um, those days, I guess are over, wouldn't you say? Yes, they are, I think. <laughs> for sure. Lindsay, <laughs> thanks thanks for listening. Nice okay. to know you're out there in Littleton. I sure appreciate you. All right, folks, we are just about out of time. Wanna remind you that Matt Dunn from um uh, uh Matt Dunn is coming up with uh Taken taking over for Randy Corcoran today. I'm sure he's got some interesting things on the political scene. We want to thank him for braving the snowstorm to get to the station. I want to remind you to get your ballot in. I voted no on HH. I want to keep my TABOR refund. It doesn't matter whether or not it's a significant amount of money. You can do a better job with it than the government. I voted no on 5A, 5B. I would tell you this, that if your school district, if your school board is asking for more money, tell them no, because it doesn't matter whether it's a school board or a governmental agency. They just are like alligators. They just want more, more more and with very little accountability. So that's my advice. You do what you want to do. Folks, that's the end of the day. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I'm going to stay in, watch CU football, relax a little bit. I'm going to listen to Matt Dunn. I always listen to the Randy Corcoran Show. And then I'll be back tomorrow with another show from 10 o'clock until noon on News Talk 710. KNU. Ass in a long chair, toes in the clay. Not a worry a world of PBR on the way. Life is good today.